Hi, I'm Marendi Leverett, accredited exercise physiologist and manager of the University of Southern Queensland Sport and Exercise Clinic. This series is about sharing with you mind and body health advice while we're stuck indoors during this period of social distancing and home isolation. Today's guest is Dr. Cornel van der Notter, who leads the Physical Activity Research Group at Central Queensland University and is also an adjunct professor at USQ. Cornel has been researching e-health for over 15 years. Now I know my sport and exercise students are consulting with clients via video link during this period. Perhaps you've had the opportunity to try telehealth for the first time. Apart from explaining how it works, Cornel is going to discuss what this enforced period of physical distancing could mean for the future of e-health post-COVID-19. Hi, Cornel. Thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. I would classify telehealth as part of e-health. So e-health standing for electronic health. So um, probably a, a bit broader, um, bigger thing. And e-health also including m-health, which um, stands for mobile health. I would define telehealth more as using, for example, clinician consults, using video conferencing and things like that. So a GP or, or clinicians that are f- further away from you, but you can still access them through phone or video or similar type things. Whereas um, I would classify E&M Health as something that's a lot broader than that. And, and specifically, my research looks at how we can use um, websites and apps and trackers and all those things to help people become more active. And there's really not no face-to-face consultation, or at least I'm not people are not talking to us at all in that process. So, um, but if you're still using electronic means to try to help people and to motivate people to um, become more active. As you're aware, I manage the sport and exercise clinic. And I have students who work in that clinic and we've moved all our services online using telehealth, so using Zoom. But they're also using mobile or e-health apps such as PhysiTrack, even, I guess, they're recording videos as well for the clients on how to do stretches and things like that. So you've highlighted a few of the different platforms that come under e-health. Did you want to talk about what are the benefits of people accessing these platforms? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, the obvious benefit is that um, in this day and age of COVID, we don't actually have to be physically in the same room, but still can, we can still deliver uh, facilities. And especially, especially for the specific populations for whom that is always very relevant, right? Not just when we have a pandemic going on. Um, for example, um, older people may find it quite challenging to travel to a center to receive uh, treatment. Um, and if, if that can be done at home, It'll save them a lot of stress oftentimes because they don't have to get into traffic and and it doesn't cost as much and they can do it right away. So they're not losing much time over it either. So so these are are a couple of benefits. Um, When when we, in relation to my own research, the the benefits are a bit different. It's more, um, you know, when we use a website application or a mobile phone application, thousands and thousands of people can use these applications simultaneously at a relatively low cost, right? The cost for, of developing it, that's it. And, one, and then it doesn't really matter um, how many people are using it. The more that are using it, the cheaper it becomes per, per person, basically. Yeah, it really increases our reach um, at, without really um, increasing the cost. Um, my, my research focuses on physical activity, how the population is not meeting the guidelines, and how can we reach half the population without you know, burning a massive hole uh, in our hand. Um, so that's why things like E&M Health um, become very attractive options. Why is it more important now that people jump on board and ac- 
access e-health, m-health now whilst we're in isolation? Well, of course, it's the perfect opportunity. Um, people sitting at home getting a bit bored, but also just the, the fact that sitting alone uh, at home alone a lot of the time can really have negative mental health outcomes. I think, you know, uh, people are social animals, so they need social interaction and, and we're being deprived of that. So that's going to have consequences. So now more than ever, it's important to still try to connect at some way. I mean, we talk about social distancing all the time, but really it is physical distancing. It is not social distancing, right? We can still be social. We can still talk to each other. We have all this technology at our fingertips. And so let's just do the physical distancing so that the the virus and the microbes can't travel, Um, but we can still be very social using all our technology these days, more than ever before. So so I think, yeah, we're really fortunate that it, it happens now. Another 100 years ago, when the Spanish flu uh, was raging around the planet because we have so many more options to still connect with people and applications that, you know, um, motivate you to, for example, to be active through, you know, um, self-monitoring and goal setting and all these other, uh, what we know, um, behavior change techniques that help people to be more active and change their behavior. What do you think is going to happen once we, you know, move out of this situation of distancing? Do you think mHealth, eHealth is just going to take off even more now? Um, I don't have a crystal ball, unfortunately. Um, but, but I do think it's likely that, that it's not all going to go away. Um, many of our major capital cities in, around Australia, they are really, traffic is really stuck, right? And so if we can work from home, why would, why would we go and sit in traffic an hour every day if we don't have to? So I do think that the use of all this remote technology that still allows us to be productive and healthy Will, will, will increase after this because uh, a lot of employers, for example, are now set up to do this, whereas before it was really a priority, so it didn't really happen. So, so I, I do think a lot of it will stick, probably not as much as it is now because it's probably a bit overkill as well at the moment. Uh, but, but I do think, yeah, um, there will be greater uptake of E&M held or TD held or whatever you want to call it uh, once COVID moves along. Are you able to tell us what maybe a typical e-health, m-health or telehealth consultation might involve? I know you've talked about the apps and things, but I guess what would be undertaken in a consultation if someone was to do that with a practitioner? Yeah, how does it look like? Um, I think one of the strengths in this area is, is the enormous diversity. We, we, we could develop web-based or app-based applications to help people be more active and they could be 100% different from the next one that uses entirely different concepts and, and ideas to try to achieve the same thing. And that's one of its strengths. It's just how do you apply what, basically. Um, in one of, a couple of the things that you'll see in most um, physical activity applications is uh, self-monitoring, so people tracking how active they are and, and goal setting, because we know that they're really powerful tools. Um, one type of um, application that I've done a lot of work with is what we call computer tailoring. And um, basically, the way that works is people answer a bunch of questions, basically a short survey online, and then based on their answers, they get immediate personalized feedback as just text on the web page or as a personalized video or some graphs. Um, and then next time they come back, the system still remembers what they did last time. So it then can compare and see if, if, if they went forward or, or not. So that's, that's very different from your, um, your goal setting and, and your self-monitoring. But it's, yeah, personalized feedback. Uh, another another technique that's that, that's very powerful and that we know works reasonably well is is offering social support, so creating online social networks or virtual buddies, that sort of thing. 
um, really works well as well to get people going. I don't know if you've done this with your research or if you know of any research out there. Is there any difference in terms of adherence, compliance, that sort of thing from people having maybe a one-on-one consult via telehealth versus doing it as part of a group, like as you talk about the social platforms on there? Yeah, um, we, we did one study where we specifically um, added a Skype conversation, repeated Skype conversations, talking a bit more like what did you think of the advice? Was everything clear to you? Do you have any more questions about you know becoming more active? And we did see that that, um, that helped. Uh, so those people that did do the Skype conversations changed their behavior more than those that were in the other groups. Though there was one big downside is that people were more likely to drop out of the of that condition with the, the video conferencing in there. Um, and I think um, that was because there's still a bit of a barrier, you know, to go and talk to a stranger that you haven't seen online. Well, we should we, we would need to redo that study, but I, I'm thinking that a normal phone call would have been less of a barrier to people because it's more people are more used to it and it's not so in your face quite literally. Yeah, most definitely. I know a lot of my clients are really struggling with the whole video concept and in the end they just prefer the phone call because it's easier to dial a number than um, try and get their computer connected. So are you aware of any innovative ways that people are using mHealth, eHealth? Has there been anything that's come out recently that's quite innovative? There's always, there's always things, right? Um, it, it, and it's been a very dynamic area to work in. I've been doing this for 15 years or so. And, you know, well, the smartphones have only been around since 2007. Before that, we didn't, the concept of apps didn't even exist. So, and then how have they evolved in those 13 years that they've been around? It's been massive. So there's always a new concept behind the corner. Um, and something that I'm now pretty focused on, at least I'm trying to get um, to secure funding to do research in this area, is the use of chatbots. But um, basically, my, my research is very focused on, on the automatic personalization of information so that we don't need a, a real person to deliver still very highly relevant uh, information to people. And so um, one way of doing that is through... Um, chatbots or um, uh, conversational agents is, an, is a different name that we often use for that. Um, and, and so we, we're looking at, into developing a new one and using um, artificial intelligence so that they actually learn as, as they get more exposure to people and become better and better at what they're doing. But at, for us, at least, this is baby steps. But I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited about that possibility and really keen to explore, can we make this work? And, and the beauty of chatbots is that we can add them to a website, we can put them in an app, we can put them in a, in a smart speaker. They can be everywhere because they don't have a real interface. That, you know, one of the main downsides of apps and websites is they always need to be updated. For example, um, we are running the 10,000 Steps um, project down here in Rockhampton. And I think we're up to all, the project's been around for nearly 20 years. Next year will be 20 years which is a bit of a milestone, but we're up to our fourth website, right? You know, the, and if you look back at screenshots of the very first one, oh, oh my God. <laughs> very primitive. <laughs> yeah, no daggy. And, but it, it, it doesn't take long for a website to get outdated or an, app, or an app is even worse in the sense that the platform providers will make changes to their platform, the app will stop working. And so it needs constant updates. So the idea of the chatbot is a bit neater in that it doesn't really have an interface. It's just kind of a bit of a brain that somehow it talks to you. I mean, obviously the brain has computer code, but that's the best analogy I can come up with. I guess chatbots to me sounds a little bit like Big Brother. Um, <laughs> do you think 
people will adapt to it. Like having a rope, it's essentially a robot responding to your questions and answers, isn't it? Yeah, well, it can be a lot more than that. And, and you're totally right. It can be a bit like Big Brother because where we're going with our thinking right now is that if we can nudge people into action, we want to use data from their surroundings to you know, make more sense. So if we know what's in their electronic diary, we know if they're busy or not, if they've got time or not. If we know through their phone um, their GPS position uh, and, and link GIS to that, we know whether they're near a park where they could be walking or not. Uh, if we know the weather reports, then we also know whether the weather is good for a walk or not. And if we have their activity tracker, then we know whether they've been active recently or not. So if, they, if they've just gone for a run, well, no point suggesting them to do even more activity. They've kind of already did it. But if they haven't been active for a couple of days, then there's a lot of information there that we can just grab from around uh, people just to nudge them doing, um, doing the right thing. But, but I think, yeah, uh, I think there will be huge variability in to what extent people are, are agreeable with sharing all that information. Some people will be totally freaked out and others will like, yeah, more is better because it will make a better product, but you also probably know a lot about me and, and not everybody will be comfortable with yeah. that. I have to stress at this, at this stage, it's, it's just a dream, right? I know, dream, but you know, it's a good conversation to have because you know, we've got to be forward thinking now because like I said, it all started with telephones, SMSing, then apps came in, websites, YouTube. Now, you know, you're looking at progressing it even further. Yeah, and, and, and I always come back to, to something I picked up from a, from a professor at the conference many years ago. It's, it's really all about what works for whom under what circumstances. Because the stuff that we do is not going to flow everybody's boat. And that's fine. As long as we explore a whole range of things and then, you know, implement all of that stuff and not just say, this is the only thing we're going to do and everybody has to like it. And if you don't like it, too bad. Well, that's not what we want to do. We want to try to do something for everybody and, and figure out who likes what and when. There will be something for everybody. Well, thank you, Cornelia, for your time today. It's been a really interesting discussion. I definitely learned a little bit more today. And um, I guess we'll look out for this future chatbot. Thank you. That's Dr. Cornel van der Notter, head of the Physical Activity Research Group at Central Queensland University and an adjunct professor at the University of Southern Queensland. If you know of anyone who could make use of the information in this podcast, please tell them about it. Thank you for joining me. Have a great day.